Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Anchor. It's so good to be with you this morning. (laughs) Jason, thank you. I love you too. Now, it is my privilege to be with you this morning and to take us into our second week of our Advent teaching series. As John said, my name is Susan. I get to be on the pastoral staff here. It's such a privilege. If we haven't met, I would love the opportunity to do that. And this morning, yes, we're going into week two of our Advent teaching series. Advent is the time that we love, where we look forward to the coming of the Christ child. It's exciting. It's a celebration. He came, a vulnerable baby. They placed him in a manger. That's a feeding trough. There was nowhere else for him to go. But we also in Advent look forward beyond the life of Jesus here on earth to his glorious return that he will use to set all things right. And so we look forward to both of those things in Advent. Brian took us into the first week of our Advent series in chapter 2 of Isaiah. We're looking at these passages that point to the coming of Messiah. And he told us about the high mountain of the Lord. It would be the highest of all mountains. And people from all nations one day would stream to it like a river flowing uphill. And when they followed his ways, they would have peace that would transform it would turn plow it would turn swords into plowshares those those weapons of war into instruments of productivity like it was supposed to be and that peace was not just for a future time but it's a peace that we can begin to enjoy and to partake in right now you and me right now today as Jesus followers this week we're going to be looking in Isaiah 11 so we're Nine chapters passed, and we're going to be looking at some unfolding of God's story of who Messiah would be, because he wants us to know. You know, one, one thing that I love um, that our family does over the holidays is we love to go see a good movie. Are you with me? Yeah, good movie. And for us, a good movie is a thinking movie in some respect. Like you have to pay attention to the plot, right? Because pieces come together and maybe you'll be the one who wins in the family and you'll have noticed that thing that happened, the subtle line of a minor character or that little visual cue that gives away the plot twist that blows everybody away, right? And then afterwards you go, I totally saw that. But my conviction here this morning is that yes, God wants us to put together those pieces, but he doesn't want us to put them together so we can go like, I totally saw that, because we can kind of geek out on those things, can't we? But so that we can say, I totally saw you, God. Could we open up our hearts and our minds, not to my words, but to the words of the Spirit that I believe he wants to speak to us today through these passages in Isaiah that we'll be looking at? Would you allow them to shape you this morning as I've allowed them to shape me even this week as I've done preparation for this time? We're going to be reading in chapter 11 of Isaiah. We'll start with verse 1. It's a little bit of a long chunk, so get your Bible apps out or watch on the screen, and here we go. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked." Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Aren't we thankful for this word? I'd love to unpack it and give some context to these words. There's a lot here, and we've gone some chapters since we last met. Um, Isaiah is talking on behalf of God to his people. And he's warning them that the way that they have been going is not a way that leads to life. It's a way that leads to death and destruction. And that warning has been desiring to make it clear to them that they've been stubborn and arrogant, that they've turned away from him. And what God wants them to know is that there's nothing he wants more than to bring them back to him. He loves them. They are the family in all the world that he's chosen to reveal himself to and to bless others through. It's important. There was a problem though, and it was two things, is that God's people were rebellious and they kept on rebelling. Sometimes it was blatant and outward, they just defiantly ignored his commands and his warnings, and other times it was more subtle. I know, God, that you want me to trust you in all things, but pretty much I'm gonna give you about 10% of this next decision because I think I probably know best, and instead of worshiping you as God, I'd rather be God for a bit. Right, we get that. That resonates with us, doesn't it? The problem is that God couldn't just turn a blind eye. We think we would love that, but it's inconsistent with his very nature, his holiness, his purity, the thing that causes him to have mercy and justice and compassion and goodness and grace. That thing that makes him both awesome and fearsome, attractive, and dangerous. To shrug his shoulders would have been to agree with evil, to open up the sheep pen and allow the wolf to come in and have dinner. So he'd been giving them, him, them these endless opportunities to return to him and he'd warned them and he'd warned them. In fact, 200 years before Isaiah came, there were other prophets who were warning them the same. You know, parenting is so hard, isn't it? I would imagine that God had a hard time allowing his people to reap the consequences of their decision. We experience that, don't we? It can be little bitty things, like 
you forgot your lunch for the hundredth time, child. I've warned you 20 times just this morning that the bus still comes at 8.20 and you need to be on it and that lunch needs to be in your hot little hands. And so we see as the bus pulls away, we see that lunch sitting on the counter and we wrestle with ourselves. Do we jump in the car with the lunch and take it to the office, ladies? Because, sorry, could be men, uh, that, are, that are there and they'll know that this is the 30th time this month that I've rescued my child, right? Or do we allow them to reap the consequences of their behavior and maybe be a little bit hungry because no kids ever died from missing lunch one time, by the way? And maybe that decision would translate into some even more higher stakes decisions later on. Decisions that would cost them a job or decisions that would break up a marriage or decisions that could even cost them their life when they took that one more drink before they got in the car. Isaiah is speaking to a much higher stakes issue here. And what it meant was that God's people would be hauled into exile and humiliated by their arch enemies that lived around them. And they would have a history of being captive to an enemy nation for a very long time. Because what was happening is there was an infestation of human pride that was, being a, that was causing a barrier between God and everything that he wanted to set right. Because they couldn't hear him with this infestation of human pride. Pride is the biggest barrier between our ability to hear him. God knew it couldn't continue. And so in his act of mercy and kindness and grace and sovereignty, he would lay them low. It would be like a forest that had been laid bare as he came through and he cut down their lofty trees of pride. The imagery is there in Isaiah. And in chapter 6 it says they're going to be cut down and all that's going to be remaining is stumps, lifeless stumps. But in that judgment, he gives a ray of hope. And he says, there will be a seed of hope that is the stump that will come up out of the death. You know, I think about stumps. Uh, this picture on the screen behind me is a place that you've probably all seen going east on I-90 about Snoqualmie Pass. We used to pass it all the time as we would go visit our kiddo in eastern Washington when he was in school. I'd be like, what is that? I mean, it sort of looks like a lake, but it's always just mud. And it's just like filled this landscape just full of stumps that are just dead looking. Why? It turns out that those stumps have been there for over 100 years. And that when that place was dammed up to make that body of water, that they harvested the timber and they left these stumps to die. And it's eerie and it's barren. It's unpleasant to look at. What God wants us to know through Isaiah is that in those dead stumps, in the dead stump of his people, there would be life. Because he is a God who brings life from death. And so what he's talking about here is the arrival of Messiah. And it wouldn't look like anyone expected. It would be an unexpected way that death would be brought into life through this stump. We all know these stump seasons, don't we? Those times in life when all of your glory, all the branches, all the leaves that you've loved, all the pieces of your life that were just going swimmingly get cut to the ground and you are bare and naked with nothing. 
Maybe it's the job that you've loved that you got laid off from and you need to switch gears and you can't find anything and you, man, you feel it. Maybe it's a relationship that you thought would last forever and turns out there was betrayal or just didn't work out and the pain is so deep. Or maybe you have been praying over a child, a child that's been wayward for a very long time and you're praying for them to come back and you just don't see any sign of movement, God says there is hope in the death of the stump. There is a shoot that is coming out of that thing. There are signs of life. The roots are still vibrant. He wants us to know that when things look dead, when hope is lost and dreams have died, that he's going to make it through on our behalf and bring life out of death in that stump. Up from this stump is a shoot. It's a tender branch. It's vulnerable, like a baby lying in a manger. It's going to grow. It's going to become strong. It's going to become a branch that bears fruit, just like Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. And it'll bear fruit just like Jesus has done since he's come and begun to set all things right, ultimately to complete that task. The stump, the text tells us, is the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David, also an unlikely choice for king. David was the runt of the litter, but David was a man after God's own heart. God loved the humility of David. And he had promised him that he would always have a person on, a, on the throne of the kingdom. But it wasn't looking good. It had been a very long time. In fact, 300 years since Jesse had born David, these words were being spoken. And there had been problems along the way. David's line had its own problems. Fighting, political strife, racism. The kingdom had broken in two. It wasn't looking hopeful. But in this text, God wants us to see that his promises will be fulfilled. They will. His promises will be fulfilled. And they'll be fulfilled in his timing. They're not going to be fulfilled in our timing. Because when we look for God's promises to be fulfilled in our timing, what we find is disappointment. But when we look to God's promises and we, we agree with his timing, we find hope. God reveals more that the shoot is a person. The spirit of God, verse 2 says, will rest on him. It's not a political ideology. It's not a platform. It's not a moral or ethical code. It's a person. Isaiah's looking forward 700 years to the coming of Jesus Christ. And he's saying the root that comes of stump, the shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse is going to bear life and it's going to be Jesus. Jesus would be called the son of David. He would come from the city of David. He, like David, would be a good shepherd. He would give life to his sheep. Jesus' arrival would not only come in an unexpected way, but it would bring unrivaled wisdom. The spirit of the Lord would rest on him. It would stay. We remember Jesus' baptism. He comes up out of the water. The dove comes as heaven opens up and stays on him. 
Not just resting on him so that he could accomplish a thing, but staying on him, empowering him, divine Messiah, son of God. He would have a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, not just smart people, right? We love being smart, just like our family. We love intelligence and knowing things. General Omar Bradley was chief of staff of the United States Army. He said it this way, the world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we know about living. And friends, this is not from a month ago on CNN. This is from 75 years ago as he tells this speech on Veterans Day, Armistice Day for him. This is a problem that is not new. We encounter people who have intelligence without wisdom, don't we? Sometimes it's in the small things, like when the grades get posted and we all race to see what it is and the person says loudly, oh, I only missed one, so I only got a 99%. So annoying, right? Like, oh, I've never done that, maybe, I don't know, didn't mean to. But yeah, sometimes it's bigger things, huh? Like that toxic leadership of the corporation that causes causes just breakdown, relational breakdown, corporate breakdown, like leaders of nations who bring decimation to the world, like even sometimes leaders of churches. So I apologize for church hurts. They're deep and they're, prevail they're prevalent. We pray for humility here at Anchor. Jesus would not just be intelligent, he'd be wise and full of understanding. He would be that person that you would feel safe with as your non-anxious presence because he has wisdom and understanding. He sees and he knows and he has compassion. That's the kind of Jesus that we serve. He would be a, a Messiah who would come with counsel and with might. Sometimes we imagine Jesus in this pasture, you know, he's kind of sitting on this meadow with children and sheep all around, and there's this ray of light that's kind of coming on him. And when he speaks, it's sort of soft and low and, and not very audible, actually, and he's a little bit in slow motion. We've seen a lot of TV that has Jesus, right? Jesus is not that TV person. There are parts of him that are that. But this is talking about someone who comes with strategy and strength, Strategy and strength so that he can look us in the eye and come alongside us and say, I can show you the way forward. One author says this, that this is the practical gift that, of the ability to devise a right course of action coupled with the personal prowess to see it through. That Jesus, that's the one I want. He comes also with the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, not knowledge and fear of the Lord, but knowledge of the Lord and fear of the Lord. Knowledge to know him fully and to revere him. That's that word fear, to revere him utterly. Because we can't want to follow him unless we have both. We don't know how to follow him if we don't know him. We can't want to follow him if we don't have a reverent awe of him. Jesus shows us things. His wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord Unlike every other leader in our history, one scholar says, Jesus is literally qualified to rule the world. We have nothing to fear from him. We are foolish to resist him. 
We can never be too loyal to him. Jesus Messiah would delight with the fear of the Father. It's funny to think of delight and fear being in the same sentence. We separate those things. Fear is cowering. Delight is joy. But Jesus, it's, it's like an aroma, this word delight. It's like a scent that he wants to follow. And every part of his capacity to enjoy is following that scent of delight in the Father. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he gave us that ability to join those two, two things together. As when he hung on the cross, the veil of the temple tore in two, and he says, now you can approach the throne of grace with confidence, with joy. The fear has been taken away, reverent awe with confidence. Those things only meet in the person of Jesus Messiah. We can trust this Jesus and even in those times when we've strayed and we've gone our own way and we're finding a hard time getting back to what we know he's inviting us to, we can trust him with judgment because judgment does come. Judgment comes. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, by what he hears with his ears. Jesus will be a different kind of judge. Man, just to hear that word, doesn't it sort of raise up our guards? Like we want to think of judgment and the verse that comes up for us if we've known kind of scripture is like, hey, don't judge lest ye be judged. Like purple bumper sticker coexist, right? We don't, we're uncomfortable with that. It's not cool. We just want to say like, no judgment. But the truth is coexistence is not what God had in mind. Don't, don't, don't lose me here. He wanted more. He wanted flourishing. And he's put that in our hearts. Like, we're not just here to coexist, friends, to sit next to each other, but we're made to, to, to flourish. We see that in the, in the Genesis, the birds of the sky are filled. They fill the sky. The, the fish of the sea, are, it's teeming with them. As man, man and woman, male and female are created, they go and they fill the earth. He wants it to be filled with his goodness. It was very good. Right. We are looking for something more than just simple coexistence. But the problem is that we can't have that something more when there's constant threat around us and that constant threat is the evil that exists. Flourishing doesn't happen in an environment under constant threat. And so what that means is we actually crave judgment. We do. We crave it. We crave it in little ways. We watch the World Cup and we're like, that is such a bad call. That guy was totally off sides. We want judgment, right? But we're also sickened when we see all the remnants of evil, all the signs of evil all around us. It doesn't take us long. We can't even watch the news or see it on our screens doom scrolling by. Death and destruction, large scale, Putin's, small scale. Putin's, those things that just aren't fair or things that aren't right. Sometimes we think we're depressed when actually we're just mourning what is. We're mourning. We want, we crave judgment. 
And because we crave judgment, we crave the Jesus who is the righteous judge. We crave him. I think it's interesting that the passage says that he will judge the needy and he'll bring justice and decisions for the poor. Because I would think that it would say he would judge the criminals and he would you know, make decisions on behalf of the murderers. But what he's talking about here is care. He's deciding. He's discerning and deciding. He's seeing the way forward. He's understanding the gap between what is and what should be. And he's saying, this is how it should be flourishing. It's not using his ego, his bias, his favoritism. There is none of that. There's not Spock-like logic going through an algorithm spitting out an answer of yes or no. It's not fear-based. Jesus will judge by the power of his very breath, ruach. That Hebrew word breath, wind, the spirit on him. He will judge righteously as he speaks with his mouth. He's not judging with swords and clubs. He's judging with the righteous words of his mouth, with his very breath. Maybe it's a whisper or a gentle blow. Maybe it's something that can level anything, you. When we have a righteous judge, we can be secure. We can have protection knowing we're defended. When we have a righteous judge, we also know that we can find a way to forgiveness because he's made it clear. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was in an honors English class that um, was with some of my friends who were in my campfire girl group. Don't tell anyone. It was really cool to be a campfire girl in high school. So one of the things that we did was we planned this, just with my friends, we planned this ski trip. We were in Oklahoma to go skiing. It was a really big deal. We had planned to be part of this bus trip. We would get on. We would go for a few days and um, ski in Colorado because that's where you go. The problem was that this teacher of this honors English class was super strict. And knowing that spring break kids take off and go places, she planned the biggest test of the semester on Shakespeare's Hamlet for the Friday before we left, which is when we were supposed to be on our way. And she said, there is no mercy here. Kids, listen to this. There was no mercy. If you didn't take that test, you, were, you got a zero, unless you were sick. And then she'd give mercy. And so my friends and I got together and we were like, I guess we're going to call in sick because we got to go skiing and the bus is already, you know, it's like a thing. So we did. Or even our parents like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So we got on the bus, we went, we skied, we had fun. We came back, we studied on the bus, we took our test, we did pretty well and it was all good. So good. Except that it wasn't. Because somewhere in my heart, I couldn't make it right. I did pretty well on the test. But the thing is, in middle school, a few years earlier, I had given my life to Jesus. And I was not perfect, not, oh my goodness, compartmentalizing, doing things wrong, all the things. But there was a whisper, there was a breath, there was a truth of judgment in my heart that I couldn't shake. And so one day I had to go up to my teacher after class and say, I was really skiing, I wasn't sick. Of course, I had this tan line of goggles all around my face. And, you know, I'm sure she knew, but, you know, it was interesting watching her kind of be uncomfortable with, now what do I do? But the thing that we decided is that the right thing was that I would take the zero. And 
that's what it would be. And so there was a C on my report card. I got to tell you, I do not like zeros. I do not like Cs. I'm a competitive person. That was my jam. That was my tree that God was cutting to a stump. But the thing that happened in that moment was it was one of the most significant, it was one of the first times that I got to see God take a C for the moment and turn it into an A plus with lightheartedness and joy and life and a shoot coming up from that stump. And I look back to that and I still remember that change that happened in me. So good, he's so amazing. Jesus' love and judgment are irreparably intertwined. He brings us a peace. He's going to reboot a peace that the earth has never seen. And we're going to see that in these next few verses. We're going to see arch enemies invite ourselves, invite each other to dinner instead of having each other for dinner in verse 6. He's going to usher in a shalom that's a wholeness, a completeness. It's more than just the, the, the removal of a restraining order. It's an invitation to the deepest peace that can exist. It's a welcome in. Can you imagine what this might look like in humanity? An openness, a harmony, a transparency, a freedom... We won't need eight-foot-tall fences around our property, and we'll be able to get through TSA pretty darn quickly. We don't need those metal detectors at our schools anymore because Jesus has set things right. We'll be able to sit at the holiday table without any conflict or defensiveness, right? Left and right, politically, we'll be able to sit together and have vision for the kingdom of God that is arriving. Not only that, it'll change our very nature itself. We'll have lions eating straw. This is not about forks over knives, guys. This is not about advocating a vegan diet. But it's about the return of things to the way that they were always meant to be. And that change happens inwardly. It happens from the beginning inside out. And it manifests in ways that are astounding. One of the stories that I, I love to, to tell and think about is the story of uh, the inner transformation of Jesus followers. Like the, the person that I sat down with a couple weeks ago, and he shared with me his story of heroin addiction. He had seen a lot of hard time, and he'd done some hard time. And he found himself at the bottom of this pit that he never expected to find himself in. And when he looked up and he saw Jesus and he looked at them as the possible hope of life for him, the shoot that's coming out of the stump of his dead life, he said yes to Jesus and he held on for dear life and he found life. And even though that doesn't mean that he's perfect because none of us is, he's been able to find life in Jesus and that life has transformed him bit by bit and continues to do so because that's how it works. And that life has had ripple effects. So it's not just a stoop, stump, a, yes, shoot coming out of a stump. It's like all those words blended together. A shoot coming out of a stump. But it's become a branch and it's begun to bear fruit. And its ripple effects have impacted his family. 
And he leads here at Anchor, and he is one of the most reliable people that I look to. Like, man, if I need something, I know I can go to this person. I go like, are you on it? And I know he's on it, and it's awesome. And he's finding life in the sharing of his gifts. The curse will be lifted. Infants will be able to play by the snake's den. One of the other cool things about being a campfire girl is you learn about snakes. And snakes, actually, they have fangs. We know that, right? We don't want to get bitten by them. They have venom. But you can't just take out the fangs. Because if you do, the little other teeth back in the back of the mouth of the snake will be able to break the skin just enough so that the venom that remains can poison you. Jesus comes and he removes the venom. Jesus comes and he removes the fangs and he reverses, he lifts that curse so that the serpent will never have the impact to poison humanity again. One scholar says this, that every square inch of the world will be the holy mountain of the Lord, verse 9 Like the waters cover the earth, so will it be that the knowledge of the Lord will bring a peace. The knowledge of the Lord will bring an unrivaled peace. There won't be any more pain. There won't be any more destruction. They will neither harm nor destroy. Band, you can come on up. Verse 10 points to the day that there will be Jesus standing as a banner and all of the nations, people from every nation rallying to him. That word rally, to come curiously, to be intrigued, to want to know more, to be drawn to. They'll be coming to Jesus. And friends, those sound like dusty church words, but they're actually happening today. All across the world, in the global south, in Asia, in in Latin America, in Africa, people are streaming to Jesus Messiah. In the south sound of Tacoma, people are asking for Jesus Messiah. They want that hope. They want that peace. He's put it in our hearts to seek him. Jesus is the banner and he's receiving all who would come to him. He's offering life. The life he would offer is actually his own. He would hang on a cross. He would extend his arms, his blood poured out for you and me, offering life to anyone who would come. He's judging rightly, but the judgment that he alone would be able to execute would actually be placed on himself. As he takes the penalty of our sin and he overcomes it by the power of God, the power of the Spirit. Jesus is raised from the dead, overcoming sin and death. He brings peace, peace that's available to you and me. We're gonna enter into a time of communion where we get to partake of the blood and body of Christ. There's prayer team on both sides of the auditorium. We would love to pray for you hope that you'll enjoy the peace of Jesus in powerful ways this Advent season.